I'm Marco Werman. This is The World. When the World Bank talks, global leaders tend to listen. Well, here's what the bank's president had to say this week about its new report on climate change. It is my hope that this report shocks us into action. Well, coming on the heels of Superstorm Sandy, the bank's report is the latest stark warning about what experts say lies ahead as the globe warms. As part of our collaboration with the PBS program Nova, we sent reporter Sam Eaton to New York to assess some of the challenges. Stephen Wagner knows hurricane damage. He runs a flood restoration company and has been working in Louisiana since Hurricane Isaac slammed into the Gulf Coast last summer. He came straight from there to Breezy Point, New York, a part of the city hardest hit last month by Hurricane Sandy. This one blew Katrina away just in terms of sheer size. The surge, full moon, high tide when it came ashore, you know, nine-foot storm surge, just there's nothing that can stop it. Nothing. Scientists are debating just how much of a role climate change may have played in Hurricane Sandy's devastation, but they generally agree that the storm was a glimpse of the future in a rapidly warming world. For his part, Wagner says he's worked long enough cleaning up after storms to be convinced that that future is already here. Everything is getting bigger, coming later, and moving slower. That's the menace. You know, the slower they go, the more destruction there is. Hurricane Sandy drew global attention to the growing threats from climate change. But two new reports just out highlight the risk of those impacts becoming much, much worse. The first came last week from the International Energy Agency, which advises industrialized nations on global energy policy. The group issued a stark warning in its annual report. Based on current energy trends, it said global CO2 emissions will push average temperatures up far beyond the 2 degrees Celsius limit the country set to avoid the most dangerous impacts of climate change. Then this week, the World Bank issued essentially the same warning, that we're headed for an average increase of nearly 4 degrees Celsius. In Fahrenheit, that's 7 degrees hotter. World Bank President Jim Yong Kim painted a stark picture of such a future. There would be massive disruption in some of our most basic systems, water supply, the viability of coastal cities, entire uh, populations that live in low-lying areas. And the window is narrow. We've got to take action now. The question, of course, is how. The Energy Agency says to avoid catastrophic warming, the world will have to leave some two-thirds of its remaining fossil fuels in the ground between now and 2050. Others take it a step further, arguing that carbon emissions will have to drop by 80 percent. However you describe the challenge, it would mean a radical shift in our energy use. The problem is... There is one billion people who are at the top, and then there are nine billion people in the future who want to be in that same club. So that essentially makes energy consumption potentially ten times larger than it is today. That's Klaus Lackner of the Lindfest Center for Sustainable Energy at Columbia University. He says the conventional view that economic growth is driven by the availability of cheap energy, mostly from fossil fuels, is still very much alive. So you have to convince people that A, a solution exists, which I don't think has happened yet, and that that solution is affordable and that it's worth spending that amount of money. Lackner is pessimistic about our ability to meet that challenge. But others say there are historic precedents. Ben Orlov is with Columbia University's Climate and Society program. Countries said, yes, it's cheaper to get slave-produced crops. We just refuse to accept them. It's something that we think is inhuman. 
Orlov says countries have often drawn stark moral lines on economic issues. People would not accept products that are produced by child labor. And we also respect the products that are produced with certain environmental standards. So I think there's the hope that we can extend these agreements into the energy field. And some solutions do exist. Renewable energy is surging around the world while costs are plunging. And nuclear power, though tainted after Japan's Fukushima meltdown, is still a low-carbon option. Meanwhile, the International Energy Agency says there are huge opportunities to cut energy use. Chief economist Fateh Biro says the growth of global energy demand could be cut in half through greater efficiency. Without new technologies and pushing the button of the measures which make complete economic sense. Biro's agency estimates that two-thirds of the world's potential for energy efficiency remains untapped. And then there's a fourth approach to reining in greenhouse gases. Technology is to capture and store carbon. Okay, so let's go to the lab. Columbia University's Klaus Lackner brings me into a room filled with machines that he hopes could someday cheaply suck carbon dioxide straight out of the air and store it underground. There are prototypes for fake trees and huge sails made of material that would soak up CO2. Researchers around the world are working on similar technology, but many say without a broad economic penalty for carbon pollution, there's little incentive to adopt technologies like this. What's still lacking is the political will to solve the problem, and I think that will require a change in attitude that people actually see that the risks of not doing anything are starting to get big. The question is, when do we believe that it hurts enough that we will do something? With Sandy's wreckage still piled along the coasts of New York and New Jersey, many people are saying that moment may finally have come, at least in the U.S. But it's no sure thing. Memories fade, and ways of life can be extremely resistant to change. Back in Breezy Point, resident Maureen Logar says even after Sandy badly damaged her home, climate change still isn't a concern. You know, we've had other storms, too. We don't really think about it. You know, we've gotten water, not never as bad as this, and hopefully we won't have for another 70, 80 years. But it's not going to change the way we're living now. It can't. You know, you live for today. For Nova and the world, I'm Sam Eaton, New York. You can watch Nova's report on Sandy inside the megastorm tonight at 9 Eastern on PBS. And you can hear more from Sam Eaton on Sandy and climate change and see photos from New York at theworld.org.